Well, welcome to New Life Church on this Easter Sunday. Every Sunday, I don't know if you know this, but the church meets on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week, the church has historically always met on the first day of the week because of the resurrection of Jesus. But today is the holiday, right? That we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. It is, it is the day that is most out of step with the rest of our world. Really. If you think about your normal activities, if you think about the people that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis, a resurrection is out of step with that. It's out of step because for the most part we deny that we will ever die. In fact, I mean, we work hard so that that's not the case. I mean, you don't have to look very far to find nutritional information. You don't have to look very far to find workout advice. Saw people jogging and riding their bike while I was on my way here this morning. Trying to extend their life and somehow postpone the inevitable. There is, in our world, a a lack of transcendence and wonder. Most of us sort of march like drones through our week. And so do the people around us. And the prospect that this world is not all there is, is is kind of a foreign prospect to most people. Because Easter is out of step with our normal, everyday activity. And then, when the inevitable does strike, when we do come to the end of our days, it is a general practice to make up an answer for what is actually happening here. What happened to the person who died? Will anything become of them? And people tell themselves a story. Oh, we'll see them again someday. Why? I don't know. Where? I don't know. Why? I don't know. And we end up making up something in in the hopes that it makes us feel better about not having thought about it before. And so this morning we pause as a church, first of all, to celebrate that Jesus is alive. But second of all, to remind ourselves that Jesus is alive, and you can be certain of that. And there's good reason to believe it. And there's good reason for that truth to change the way that you live in the rest of your life. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And the first part really establishes why the resurrection is believable and why it is important. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, 
which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised again the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. And here we have the establishment of the the veracity or the truthfulness of the resurrection. And then we also have the implications of the resurrection, really in reverse order. And so I want to start with why it's important. Now, I'd remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you. Here at New Life Church, we love the Gospel. We talk about the Gospel all the time. And the Gospel is simply good news. We believe that what the church is about is good news, not good advice. That this good news is news that you treat in the way that you treat any other news. You don't only hear it, you don't only imagine it to be true, you also act as though what you have heard is really true. Because it's good news. And the good news that we're talking about really is, is sort of, uh, is characterized here, not sort of, characterized here as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the heart of what is in the good news. If, if that is not true, then there is no good message. You can have good advice really with any belief system. You can have good advice without any historical um, truthfulness. But here you have good news that finds its roots in history. I want to remind you of the good news. If uh, you come back next week, our service will be at 10 o'clock, and we'll be talking about uh, the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The reason it's good news is that this death and resurrection of Jesus means that you and I can be saved from our sins. I mean, that's what's so dramatic about it is all of the trying that you can do, all of the good things that you might uh, try and accomplish in your life account for nothing but the resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus enable God to accept you. He loves you and He will accept you because of what Jesus has done rather than what you have done. That's the good news. That's why you have to believe it rather than try and just follow some sort of good advice. It's good news. You can be saved from your sins. You can live forever. You don't have to make up an answer when it comes time for your last day. 
You can know that Jesus rose from the grave and you will rise again also. It's good news because if you respond to it, there is, there is hope for you. Which, he says, the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. This is, this is really what you need to do with this good news. You embrace it or you receive it. You listen attentively to it. You take it to heart. You bet on it. You say, I'm really going to count on the fact that this is true. I'm going to take my stand on it. And when you do, you are being saved. I just want to, I want to point out that the first one, you received it is past tense. Okay, you've heard that Jesus died and rose again. That's past tense. In which you stand, that's something you're doing right now. And in which you are being saved. I mean, that's not past tense. That's not something you did when you were a kid. You're hanging on to this Gospel today, believing it, hoping that this Gospel saves you. In fact, it goes on to say, if you hold fast. The invitation to you today is to consider the death and resurrection of Jesus and then say, is is what the Bible says about that true? And if it is, hang on to it. When you're rubbing shoulders with people that that don't necessarily believe it, or you're going through some routine during your week that doesn't require a resurrection, you've got to hang on to it. You hold fast to it. He says, unless you believed in vain. This isn't so much saying that you could believe and then it wouldn't be any good. Probably a, a, a this probably not even the best way to understand it or to translate it from the original language. The best way would be to say, unless you have believed without reason, or unless you have believed without cause. So I think there are there are a lot of people who don't really think about this resurrection, and they just sort of believe, sort of believe, without good reason. And what I'm telling you this morning is the resurrection gives you good reason. To believe. It is good news and there is a good reason to believe it. And that's what I want to show you here next. This is is the most important thing that you could deal with in your entire life. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your retirement. It's more important than your family. It's more important than your Easter brunch today. This is the first importance. This is the thing. And he says, I, I received it first and I'm going to pass it on to you. And it's very simply this. That Christ died. That Christ died. We had a wonderful celebration on Good Friday uh, a couple days ago. Remembering what it means that Jesus on a cross took the sins of the world so that God's condemnation fell on Him and not on those who believe. And so the first thing that you have to kind of dial in is that Christ died. Okay? And you have to decide, is that something that happened, number one? And number two, if it happened, did God mean by what happened what He said? Okay, here's, here's the account of an eyewitness. 
Apostle John talks about after Jesus was on the cross and He breathed His last. He says in, in John 19.33, but when they came, they as professional executioners, they do this for their job. Okay? They have seen people die before. They know what it looks like. In fact, it's their job to ensure that it happens again. They came to Jesus and saw He was already dead. So they didn't take precautionary measures just to, just to make sure and break His legs. You see, if He broke His legs on the cross, He couldn't lift Himself up to breathe anymore and He would die of asphyxiation quickly. But they didn't do that because He was already dead. He was in the opinion of these professional executioners. But one of the soldiers, nonetheless drove a spear up into Jesus' side, and at once there came out blood and water. Pierced his heart, and he lost the fluid around his heart and lost blood. And not something he would survive were he not already dead. Okay? I mean, we're really going to nail this down, right? Jesus is already dead. It is historically verifiable. And then he says, the other thing you need to nail down is that he was buried. He was honest to goodness dead, honest to goodness buried in a tomb. So that this isn't some hallucination. This isn't, we're not talking about something that some people made up in hopes that they would feel better. Or that somebody made up to deceive the masses. Jesus died and He was buried. Here's the account from John 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he took away his body. Then the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now why, why talk about the burial of Jesus? Well, I mean, first of all, you'll notice that Jesus was crucified near a garden. Or in a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb. So likely, from here to the high school, no farther than that away, from where the cross actually stood, was this tomb. Now, if I was to... Uh, I mean, you guys are going to see the school when you leave, right? And I was going to say, you need to... Two days from now, come back and see what's going on at the high school. You'd probably be able to find it. You probably wouldn't go to some other high school. In other words, to establish this, the place where Jesus was buried is to establish the verifiability of whether later on when it claims to be empty, it actually is empty. In the garden there was a new tomb. And He was laid there in the shadow of the cross, really. Not across town, just right there. And then He says, I deliver you what's first importance. Christ died. He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And here, here's the thing that you really have to get your mind around. This is the, this is the place. I mean, people still die all the time. 
People still are buried all the time. This is the thing that is so anti-modern. This is the thing that is so out of step. I mean, you can, hit, you can celebrate Christmas and recreate a nativity scene. Okay. You can't recreate this. On the third day, He rose from the grave. And it is right here that Christianity diverges from everything else that anybody else believes. That Jesus rose from the grave. And here is the account from Matthew, who also was an eyewitness. He said, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now I'm just going to stop right here because you're going to have to decide did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Was the tomb empty or not? Now, if I'm going to fake you out, I'm going to try and get the most credible witness, right? In the story that I make up. If I'm going to make up a story, I'm going to get somebody who is you know, a trustworthy eyewitness. In the, in the scheme of the day, whether we like it or not, women didn't testify in court. They weren't considered trustworthy eyewitnesses. Yet, the account of the resurrection of Jesus starts by saying it was the women who first saw the empty tomb. In other words, why would you make that up? You're not making that up. They were the ones that loved Jesus. They were the ones that went to see this tomb, hoping that somebody would open it. And behold, he says, there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the fear of him, and for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay, we forgot to tell you. And not only was he dead, buried, there was a guard stationed around the tomb just to make sure, again, that if somebody was going to fabricate this, they weren't going to break in there and steal the body and, and try and fool anybody. So they stationed a guard around and the guard was no match for the angel. The angel said then to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For He has risen. As He said, come, see the place where He lay. So here, that's, that, that's been the invitation ever since. The tomb is empty. Check it out. The tomb is empty. Come and see. Somebody produced... I mean, Christianity is finished if somebody had to produce the body. And you've got to say... Did that in history happen? Was there some plot to steal the body? Was there, did somebody go to the wrong tomb? I mean, what, what happened here? He is not here. He has risen. I'm going to tell you this of first importance. The other thing that is, I think, important here, I'm just going to mention it, is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened in accordance with the Scriptures. You have a you have a you have a new a New Testament where we're reading this morning, and you have an Old Testament. The Old Testament is the scriptures that the Jews had, and in the scriptures, it said, "The Messiah will live again. The Messiah will die, and he will live again." Isaiah fifty three, Psalm twenty two, Psalm sixteen. You see it throughout the Old Testament that the scriptures foretold that Jesus would live again. Now, nobody got it. His own disciples didn't even get it. It just reminds us 
should be no surprise. And then here's the, here's the other interesting verification. He appeared to Cephas or Peter. It's his other name. And Peter was the one who ran to the tomb and saw the, the tomb empty. Peter was the one who walked along the, the shore of Galilee and, the, um, and gave up, really. Went fishing. And Jesus called him and they uh, had a conversation. Jesus forgave him. That really is, that really is what um, what verified for him that Jesus was alive. He was forgiven. He appeared to Peter in order to forgive him. Then he appeared to the twelve. He, he showed up in a locked room. He held out his hands and said, here, look. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And I'm just going to say that if, if your opinion is that Jesus didn't really rise... People hallucinated. You know what? 500 people don't hallucinate at one time, not even at Woodstock. They just don't. You don't all see the same thing at all the same time. They're not making this up. And he says, in fact, just in case you doubted, at the time of the writing, most of them are still alive. You could even check it out. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Now, who is James? James is the brother of Jesus. James didn't didn't buy this at all. James, I mean, think about it. If your brother claimed to be the side, you wouldn't buy it either. Okay, he didn't. Yet, okay, when he appeared to James, changed everything for James. And then to all the apostles, it said. In fact, I think that's one of the keys. Okay, that you have to come to grips with if you're going to say, oh, well, this is just another day. Or it's just something that those old folks back then believed. Listen. He appeared to James. He appeared to all the apostles. Okay. The claim that Jesus rose from the dead changed human history. Okay, you have a bunch of fishermen, all the apostles, right? who ran away after the Last Supper, who gave up on Jesus, who weren't about to be caught dead with Jesus. And then He rises from the dead. And He appears to them. And what happens? They're bold as lions. They stand in the face of spears Some of them are crucified themselves. None of them recant and said, Oh, we made this up. Please let me go. None of them. The church from the very first day then grew and multiplied on one basic truth. That Jesus is alive from the dead. And from the very first day where it could have been falsified, that was the singular claim of Christianity. Maybe you say, well, yeah, all you folks are brainwashed. 
right? You're brainwashed about this resurrection because you're, you're religious and you go way back. Well, here we have the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter and he says, last of all as to me, one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul was not brainwashed. When the risen Jesus appeared to him, he was on his way to kill and imprison prison Christians. He was, he was not only ambi- he was not ambivalent to this. He was not a secret believer. He was an enemy who was ready to destroy, if he could, the church of the risen Christ. Until he encountered the risen Jesus. I just want to suggest to you what you have here is you have you have a claim. You have a claim that is rooted in the facts of history. And I want to tell you that, that the people that are so popular right now, I mean, if you have Eckhart Tolle or you have uh, some other guru, they may have ideas you like, but you know what? Show me some historical facts. You have, you have, the, you have Christianity rooted in a verifiable uh, historical event that, that passes the test of any historical event. And you've got to decide, if that's true, what does that mean to me? I'm passing this on to you as of first importance. That Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus forms the good news. That God has done everything necessary for you to be reconciled with God. You don't need to make up an answer. You don't need to cross your fingers and hope that you're good enough. You don't need to guess that it's going to all work out in the end. You can know because of this empty tomb that God saves those who believe. As this text says, if you receive it, if you take your stand on it, if you hold fast to it, you are being saved. So really, if you're just if you're just here on this Easter Sunday morning, getting started, so glad you're here. The invitation to you is really to do just that—to believe it, to embrace it, to even even take the first tiny step that says, "Well, if this is true, then okay." Because. That's how you make your peace with God. If this isn't your first day, if you've been around Christianity for a long, long time, I just want to encourage you that that the resurrection of Jesus is good. And you can count on it. You You have history on your side. You're out of step with the rest of the world, but but you can be confident that the tomb is empty and that the the, the cross of Jesus counts for you like God says it counts for you. And so I want to just pass on to you of first importance what I also received. This good news. That Christ died. That He was buried. 
and that He rose again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank You for the cross. Thank You that You accomplished in the death of Jesus what otherwise would have been necessary to accomplish in my death. And that because of His resurrection, I can be confident that You accept His sacrifice in my place. Oh, Father, I just... I just want to pray for each person here that You would establish us. You would help us to stand on this and not waffle just because it's out of step with the rest of the world? Would You give us faith to believe? Would You give us courage to hold fast to that faith? And Father, would You give us a great, great delight in our risen Savior. In whose name I pray. Amen.